pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you uh, for who you are. We thank you for what you've done for us uh, through your Son, Jesus Christ. God, we, uh, we're going to reflect today upon our relationship with you and how that drives um, our relationship with others and uh, encouraging them in, uh, in their walk with you. And so uh, we just ask that you, would, um, that you would help us think about that and that you would motivate us and, and give us the, uh, the confidence and the ability to, uh, to speak with other people about you. God, uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, most of you know that uh, my wife and I, we have four kids. Um, and if you didn't, you know now. And uh, we like to sometimes watch a family show, you know, at, at night or something like that. And lately we've been watching Boy Meets World. Anyone? Anyone? All right, we got a couple people. All right. I feel old, but that's cool. Uh, Boy Meets World, uh, my kids kind of like it. I like it. And, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting because they start off in middle school and then they go to high school and, uh, and it really follows two main Two main boys, um, they get into high school, and it's all about like who's in and, and who's out, what's cool, what's not, like who's the who's the group you should be hanging out with, who's the group you shouldn't be hanging out with, uh, and, and there's this whole idea of group dynamics that they begin to uh, be exposed to and explore uh, in high school. And as I said that, some of you are thinking back to high school, and you're like, yeah, I remember, I remember some of those group dynamics. Some of, you, some of you might be thinking back to college and being like, yeah, there, were, there was some group stuff going on in college, too, with like who, you know, who are the cool people to hang out with and who's not? Who are the best people to study with and who's not? Like, do I fit in with this group? Do I fit in with that group? And some of you might even just be thinking about this past week, maybe at work or uh, just around town, you know, not feeling like you fit in or um, maybe you do and you don't think other people fit in, you know, and... Um, this idea of group dynamics, it doesn't really go away. It's kind of a part of who we are. It's a part of, who our, um, uh, part of our humanity, how we're made up. And uh, you see it in Scripture. Um, you see it play out in our lives. And in fact, uh, I don't read a lot of psychological journals, just FYI. It's not my pastime. It's not my bag, really. But uh, I, I did learn about something this week, and it's called, uh, that psychologists have termed, uh, out-group homogeneity. Yeah, two for two. I got it first service, too. I've been practicing all week. Out-group homogeneity, all right? And basically, uh, what that is, it's, it's, a, it's an understanding that the group that you're a part of, you think everyone in there is, uh, is unique and um, interesting and exciting, and, and you tend to see people as individuals making up a group. But any group that you're not a part of, you tend to think that they're all the same. Right? Some of you are like, I don't get it. But if you tend to think about politics or uh, racial boundaries or cultural boundaries, it's very easy to say, like, my group is really unique and cool. That group is all the same and not cool. Maybe you guys think that. I don't know. Sometimes I think that kind of pops up just in our day-to-day -day, uh, lives. And maybe we don't think that way, but we tend to see the world in terms of groups. 
And it affects the way we relate to people. Uh, it affects the way we minister to people. And it's something to think about. And we're going to see that in the book of Acts. Um, so open up book of Acts chapter 28. Uh, we'll begin in verse 16. When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. When we entered Rome. Well, that's the end, right? The gospel got to Rome. End of the story. Why do I say that's the end of the story? Well, because if we turn back to Acts chapter 1, we're given the outline for what's going to happen in this book. Turn back, Acts chapter 1. It's not too far. Here's the key verse for the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the world, to the ends of the earth. That's the outline for the whole book of Acts. And why do I say, well, the gospel reached Rome, the book is over? Because in, in uh, the understanding of that day, Rome was considered like the ends of the earth. That was it. You know, it was the vast Roman Empire, and there wasn't anything beyond that. We know that there's so much more. But this chapter is kind of like a triumph. The gospel reached Rome. We did it. Yeah. That's what's happening here. And as we continue to read, we're going to see three things. First, that God's plan doesn't always match expectations. We'll also see that believers should live uh, with all that they are for Christ. And third, we'll see that the gospel is for all. So, God's plan doesn't always match expectations. Let's take a look at that. Well, it starts off right away in Acts chapter 1. And we'll be doing like a little bit of a review. The whole book of Acts since we're closing it. In the allotted amount of time. So, Acts chapter 1. Uh, Acts 1.8 tells uh, Jesus is talking to the disciples and says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea. Okay, we're cool with that. We're cool with that, Jesus. That's awesome. And Samaria, mm, I, don't know, I don't know if I'm cool with that, Jesus. I don't know if I'm cool with that because, uh, remember, the disciples were Jewish. And how did they feel about Samaritans? They didn't really like Samaritans. There were cultural boundaries, belief boundaries. They did not want to mix with the Samaritans. But the last thing Jesus says before he ascends to heaven is, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There's going to be something really amazing going on here with group dynamics. Believers in Christ. God's plan doesn't always match up with what is our expectations. That's kind of the first time we see that. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, before Jesus ascends and before he says this, the disciples were like, okay, is your kingdom coming now? Is it time? Are you going to deliver us from this Roman rule? Are you going to come into your kingdom? Are you going to, are you going to beat up the Romans finally? Are we going to like reign with you? So even the disciples had a certain expectation of what to expect. Expectation of what to expect, yeah. 
Yeah, that might not be correct, but I said it. The disciples thought one thing, but that's not what happened with Jesus, is it? They asked that, and he says, it's not for you to know the time. And then he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And off they go, witnessing for Christ. Probably not what they expected. You fast forward a little bit, and you tend to think about God's plan for redemption for the world involves the, uh, the death of his son, Jesus, on a cross. It involves uh, difficulty in bringing uh, groups of people together. In fact, uh, you see the difficulty throughout Acts, right? The, the beginning of Acts, the, the first maybe 12 or so chapters of Acts uh, really deal with uh, the ministry to the Gentiles, kind of focus on Peter, or sorry, the ministry to the Jews, kind of focus on Peter a little bit. And then there's uh, this transitory period, really chapters like 8 to 12, where it's uh, transitioning, and then it's focusing on Paul and the ministry to the Gentiles. And, and you see a difficulty there with these two groups coming to Christ and being formed into one group. You see it because in Acts uh, chapter 15, you have the Jerusalem Council, right? When all the leaders gather together in Jerusalem, and, and uh, if you'll recall, they were trying to figure out, hey, uh, Jewish people that now believe in Christ, they kind of behave this way and have certain traditions, and they, and they do things like this way. And now we're having people that aren't Jewish come to faith in Christ. Are they, should they do all of those things? Should they be circumcised? Should they... Uh, you know, follow some of the cultures and the traditions of the Jewish people, and uh, to which there's a big debate, and, and, and they figure out that, no, no. You don't have to do everything traditionally or culturally the same as this group. We're being formed into one new group, and, and uh, there are unifying characteristics of belief in Christ, absolutely. But they're not always, you know, you have to do everything this way or you have to do everything that way. That's what Acts chapter 15 is about. And in fact, uh, Paul writes about this a little bit uh, in uh, Ephesians, in the book of Ephesians. If, if you want to, you can turn there, Ephesians chapter 2. Um, and it's likely that Paul is writing Ephesians during this time, during this moment, this historical moment when he is in Rome. In Ephesians 2, uh, cha- chapter 2, verse 14, Paul writes, For he is our peace. He's writing about Jesus here. For he is our peace, the one who made both groups into one. Both groups. What two groups? The Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews and the non-Jews. The Jews and everyone else in humanity. Two groups of people. And Jesus Christ formed them into one group. Those who are in him. And he did this by destroying the middle wall of partition, the hostility, when he nullified in his flesh the law of commandments and decrees. He did this to create in himself one new man, one new humanity, out of two, thus making peace, and to reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by which the hostility has been killed. 
So when we think about group dynamics and groups of people and all, all of that kind of stuff, it's right here on the pages of Scripture. Jesus brought two groups of people together and formed one. And a large part of the book of Acts is the journey of how that happened and what that looks like and, and how the disciples figured out how to minister to this one new group of people that never before had been united. God's plan doesn't always match expectations. Um, if you skip ahead a little bit more in the book of Acts, think about how the journey got to where we are, got to Rome. It wasn't exactly a smooth journey, was it? Right? Uh, maybe you would think if you were starting off and you were planning it and you, you had a certain expectation for how this was going to go, Peter was going to you know, set up the church in Jerusalem and then he was going to move uh, and, and uh, preach to the Samaritans and then he was going to move and he was, he was going to preach to the Romans, right? Because, because it's Peter. But that doesn't happen. Not so much, right? Instead, this guy Saul... Pharisee of Pharisees, the guy that is persecuting the church gets called by Jesus Christ and his life is radically changed. He comes to faith in Christ as his Messiah. And he's never the same. The rest of his life is about telling people about Jesus. He's no longer persecuting the church. He's moving the church forward. Didn't see that coming. That's an expectation of God's plan that I didn't have. But now that, you know, Paul's the front man for the Gentiles and everything, surely everything's going to go according to plan, nice and smooth, no big deal. Right. He's beaten, arrested, shipwrecked, bit by a snake. I don't know what else you could even throw in there, but like, that's not how I would write a plan. You know what I'm saying? God's plan doesn't always meet our expectations. But his sovereign plan does always come to fruition. And we see that here because the gospel reaches Rome. The gospel reaches Rome. So uh, after three days, verse 17 uh, in Acts chapter 28, after three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews. And when they came together, he began speaking with them. And what does he tell them? Well, he basically recaps kind of like what we just did, you know. Um, I, I didn't do anything wrong. A bunch of, you know, Jews said I did something wrong. I got put on trial. I got arrested. Uh, the people that were holding my trial didn't think I did anything wrong, but the Jews wanted me to be killed. So I appealed to Caesar, and, and here I am. It's basically what he says. And then look what he says, verse 20. For this reason, speaking to the Jews, for this reason. By the way, anytime you see that in your Bible, go ahead and like underline it, pay attention to it. You need to pay attention to all of your Bible, to be fair. But if you see for this reason, kind of zoom in, okay? That's, that, is, that is the author zooming in for you to really pay attention. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you, for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. What's the hope of Israel? The hope of Israel is the Messiah. All of the hope of Israel 
hangs on the Messiah. The person who Israel believed was going to come and set all things right. Who would deliver them. That's why the disciples were asking in Acts chapter 1, is it time? Are you going to do it? Jesus doesn't say, no, I'm not doing that. He says, it's not for you to know the time. God's plan doesn't always meet our expectations. Paul is in chains. The herald of the king is bound. That's where this message to these Jews starts. And you'll remember that Paul always goes to the synagogue first, right? He always goes to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. Well, here, he's under house arrest, likely bound to a guard. So he has the Jews come to him. And then look at what happens. Look at what happens. Jump down to uh, verse 23. He was explaining to them solemnly, testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus. And the kingdom of God there would likely have uh, uh, messianic uh, flavors. It would be talking about how the kingdom is established, how the kingdom of God is going to be ushered in. And Paul's explaining to them about the kingdom of God and Jesus, who is the Messiah. He's trying to get them to see that The hope of Israel has come. There is hope. I wasn't doing anything wrong. I'm not preaching a false gospel or anything like that. I'm not not trying to uh, move people away from God. No, I'm I'm, I'm trying to move people toward God. That's That's what he's saying. And look at how he does it. By reasoning with them, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. The Law of Moses would be the the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's the Law of Moses. I kind of did like a little chicken thing here if you were paying attention. Okay, Uh, that's the Law of Moses. The Law of, or uh, the Prophets would be the Prophets, the Prophets of the Old Testament. So he's reasoning with them about the Kingdom of God and who Jesus Christ is as the Messiah from the Old Testament because they knew the Old Testament. And some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. They would not believe. There's a hardness there. They would not believe. If I was writing the plan here for Acts, I would have Paul be eloquent in his explanation, reasoning from the scriptures, and of course the Jews would get it, and there would be belief, and everything would work out. But God's plan doesn't meet expectations, at least our expectations. So we see how the gospel got to Rome, that the the heralds are are beaten, stoned, imprisoned, chained, shipwrecked, bitten by snake. But they're there, and they're faithful. And that's when we can start to see that you can, you can bind the herald of God, but you cannot chain the gospel. Because God's plan, although it doesn't meet expectations, always comes to fruition. Always comes to fruition.
It does beg the question, though, how does, how does Paul uh, live um, in a way that is reflected by contentment amongst all this? How does he do that? You know, like when you think of Paul, you think of contentment because of uh, his writings. Um, and all this has happened to him. All, he's experienced all this. How does he live like that? How does he get there? I think it's because he lives with all that he is for Christ. He's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about Christ. Everything that he has, everything that he is, his entire being is made up of living for Christ. I think the same should be true for us. Believers should live with all that they are for Christ. Believers should live with all that they are for Christ. Let, let me show you what I mean. Turn back maybe one page, maybe two, depending upon your Bible. Uh, Acts chapter uh, 27, verse 23. If you recall, just a, just a few weeks ago, Joe mentioned this. Uh, Paul says, this is on the ship, right? And Paul, Paul tells uh, the people there, for this very night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and to whom I serve stood before me. Paul didn't belong to himself. He belonged to God. He understood that that he wasn't his own anymore. That's how he's able to write in the book of Philippians, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 1.21. What he's saying there is like, it, if I live, then that's awesome because I get, to, I, I get to live more for Christ. I get to share Christ with people and bring people into the knowledge of the Savior. And if I die, that's awesome too because I actually get to go be with Christ. You see how his perspective, the way that he lives his life completely flavors his, his experiences and his circumstances? It doesn't matter what's going on because it's good if I get to live through it because I get to preach Christ. And, it, and it, it's okay if I die because I get to go be with Christ. Unifying theme there? Jesus Christ. Everything that he is belongs to Christ. In fact, uh, when Paul writes uh, his letters, how does he refer to himself in his letters? You guys remember? Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Bondservant there is from the Greek word uh, doulos, which literally means slave. Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. And it's not like this like depressing, oh yeah, I'll do what Jesus says because I'm his slave. Right? He talks about joy. The book of Philippians is, uh, one of its nicknames is uh, the letter of joy. And he writes it while in prison. He can be joyful because all that he is belonged to Christ. So as long as he was walking with Jesus, things were going to be just fine. Even now, he's bound, um, and, and, he's, and he's still able to say this. I just think it's amazing. Uh, I want to share uh, something that might help illustrate it. Uh, Dr. Tony Evans is a, uh, he's a pastor up in Dallas. He went to uh, Dallas Seminary, and uh, author, great speaker, 
and he has this letter. I don't think it's a true letter. It's just an illustration. Uh, but it's a letter from a man named Sam to, I, I think, his wife Betty. The woman that he loves, I'll just say that, okay? Uh, from Sam to Betty. This is what he says. My dearest Betty, I love you beyond words. Webster does not have in his dictionary the necessary vocabulary to explain the depth of my love for you. Thoughts of you dance across the portals of my mind. You are my all-consuming passion. So enraptured am I regarding my love for you that the Pacific Ocean would be like a pond if I had to swim in it. I could do it as long as I knew you were waiting for me on the other shore. The heat of the Sahara Desert would never impede my progress to you, knowing that you would be the oasis that would refresh me when I arrive. There would be no inconvenience I wouldn't endure for you. Climbing Mount Everest would only seem like getting over an ant's hill if I knew you were at the precipice. All I'm simply saying to you, my darling, is that my love for you transcends time and space. Signed, Sam. P.S. I'll see you Saturday night if it doesn't rain. I'll see you Saturday night if it doesn't rain. It's comical, right? This love letter that, that boasts such affection for somebody that, that uh, as long as you get to see them, you could go through anything. But if there's rain, I might not make it. Sometimes our spiritual walk is like that a little bit. When we reflect upon who Jesus is, um, and we're in the Word regularly, and we're praying, and we're in community, uh, it stirs up within us a zeal. A zeal for the Lord. Psalm 119 uh, says, I am consumed with zeal for you. But if it rains a little bit, sometimes our, uh, our zeal may wane also. Uh, I love singing the songs that we sing today. Those words um, make me a vessel. The saying, make me a vessel for, for your grace in this world. Make me a vessel for the gospel. Use me, God. I don't know if you guys read the book of Acts, you know, for a while now or anything, but... Uh, Vessels sometimes get used in ways that are a little bit scary. Make me a vessel. Make me an offering. That, when we sing that, it's not saying, make me an offering, God. Make me an offering, I can't refuse. That's, that's not it, right? It's saying, make me an offering, like a drink offering, that Paul ends up writing about, I feel like I am being poured out like an offering. He's emptying everything. He's giving everything he's got to Christ. That's what those words mean. And I love singing those songs because uh, I really, I want to live that way. I want us all to live that way, to live lives that are characterized by someone saying, man, they are giving everything they have to Christ. But when you live that way, you, you can't help but be reminded of Paul and the apostles and martyrs throughout history. 
and people that have literally poured out their lives for Christ. Living with all that you are for Christ, it could be really hard. But man, is it worth it. It's so worth it. There's only one relationship that will never let you down. And that's your relationship with God. God tells his people that he will never leave them nor forsake them. Oh, I want us to live with all that we are for Christ. Um, this book is called Holiness uh, Day by Day. It's, it's, a, it's a devotional uh, by Jerry Bridges. It's kind of a collection of a lot of his work. And, and, and then his comments on, on uh, some passages and things like that. Uh, but there's one section um, about Paul that, kinda, um, that I remembered, and, and I just wanted to read it to you, because I think it captures this about living with all that you are for Christ. Jerry Bridges says this. He says, there's a direct correlation between faith in the righteousness of Christ and zeal in the cause of Christ. The more a person counts as loss his own righteousness and lays hold by faith of the righteousness of Christ, the more he'll be motivated to live and work for Christ. I think that's totally true. And I think that's part of why Paul is able to live with all that he is for Christ. Remember how Paul thought of himself? What did he say? He was the worst of all sinners. The worst. His righteousness is as filthy rags, right? Our righteousness without Christ is as filthy rags. When you understand that, and you begin to think about who Christ is and his righteousness, and how undeserving we are to even know God, and yet he says, I'll take your sin. I'll take your dirtiness. I'll take it. All of that. And I will give you my righteousness. When you think about that, and you capture the cost of that, oh wow, what zeal it can inspire to live all that you are for Christ. To live all that you are for Christ. Look what he says to the Jews. He reasons with them. And in verse 24 it says, Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. They would not believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. And this is a doozy of a parting word. He says this, The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. And with their eyes they scarcely, or with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. Therefore, 
let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will also listen. That passage is taken from Isaiah chapter 6, and um, it's one of my favorite visions uh, in, in all of Scripture, one of my favorite moments. Uh, Isaiah sees God on his throne. The, the train of his robe fills the temple. That talks about his glory, right? His majesty fills the temple. The train of his robe fills the temple. And... Uh, and if you remember what his reaction is to God's glory, it's, woe is me. I, I'm not worthy to see you, God. I'm not, I'm not worthy. Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. That's what he says. But God, in his grace and his mercy, has an angel touch Isaiah on his lips. Because he wants Isaiah to speak for him. For the people of God. And then God says, who can I send? Who will go for me? Talking about who's going to go to the people? Who's going to tell the people about me? And Isaiah says, here am I, Lord. Here am I. Send me. And this section is what follows next. That the people will say, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. To which Isaiah says, how long, O Lord, how long will that go on? How long will people continue to walk away from you? How long will they not hear? How long will they not see? When will they see? Interestingly, this, is, this passage Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 13 when, when he's uh, answering why he speaks in parables. This is what he uses. It's tragic that there are people that will not believe in God. It's sad. But when we live all that we are for Christ, we don't stop telling people about Christ. We never know when people will return to God. We never know when people will see God give their lives to him. And he heals them. We don't know when that's going to happen. All we have to do is just be faithful to God and keep sharing the message of Jesus. And that's the outworking that ends up happening of a life that lives everything for Christ, like we see in Paul. The gospel is preached to everyone because the gospel is for everyone. Look at verse uh, 30. It says, he stayed, talking about Paul, he stayed two years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming to all who came. All who came to him. Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. That's what happens when someone lives with everything that they are for Christ. Everyone hears the gospel. 
Paul didn't say like, yeah, you can come to me if you're part of this group or you're a part of this group or I only want to see like this group uh, on Monday and then like probably never again. Like I just don't want to talk to them because they're different, you know, or weird or anything like that. No, he shared Christ with anybody that came to him. Um, do you guys share Christ with anyone? Do you share your relationship with God with everyone? Do you place restrictions on people? What do I mean by that? Well, when we look at the landscape of politics, it gets pretty divisive, doesn't it? If you're a Republican, maybe you think you know everything there is to know about Democrats, right? They're all the same. They all believe this kind of stuff, right? Or maybe if you're a Democrat, you think, oh, Republicans, they're all the same, and they believe this kind of stuff. Racial boundaries cause similar issues. Cultural issues can abound. And sometimes, sometimes what might happen is uh, you say, like, man, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not inviting people into my home. They're not going to believe in Jesus anyways. Don't make up their mind for them. Look at, look at the, the work that has been put in by the early church to form one new group from two vastly different groups. Faithfulness to God and faithfulness to the message of Christ is what is required of us as people, as believers. Um, we're wrapping up here, and, and I just want to take a moment and illustrate something um, that I thought of. Because sometimes I think um, th there are things that hold us back from sharing the gospel of Jesus. There are things that hold us back from living with all that we are for Christ. Uh, some of them might be uh, what I was just talking about, you know, there are difficulties in being able to speak to different groups of people, and maybe you make up their minds for them. Uh, it might also be your identity in Christ as well. Uh, I, I see that maybe being two different, uh, you know, two different ways. Maybe, maybe you don't think you've been forgiven much. Maybe you are a believer, but you don't actually recognize the cost that it took for you to be in relationship with God. So you're not very motivated. That might be true. It could also be true that maybe you think, um, why would God use me? There's so many other more qualified people. There's better speakers. Uh, there's good authors. Why would he use me? I'm, I'm like just a little nobody. God doesn't, like God wants to use you. He wants to use you. I mean, there's no perfect preachers. Look at me. They let me preach up here. You know, like, I'm certainly not a perfect preacher. You can be used by God. Don't count yourself out. Be faithful to be in uh, community with people, sharing the message of Christ. Sometimes when we read Acts, and yes, we are closing Acts today, 
Sometimes when we read Acts, though, we think, well, that's the Acts of God. And the book is done. It's over. No, it's, this is the Acts of the early church. And if you're paying attention, it ends on a cliffhanger. Because the Acts of the church don't stop. They're continued on in, in, in you, in me. They're continued on throughout history. The gospel will continue. I just pray that we're a part of it. Whenever you begin to think that you are um, not educated enough to talk to people about Jesus or you don't live the perfect life, you've got too many uh, issues going on, um, I, I want you to think about something. Um, and hopefully this illustrates for you uh, my point. We'll do a little quiz. Everybody feel free to raise your hand. In fact, I'd like you to raise your hand if it qualifies, okay? Who can name the last five Super Bowl winners? Okay? Who can name the last three Pulitzer Prize winners? Who can name the last two um, Nobel Prize winners? I mean, this is like, the, we're talking about major things here, right? I don't think there's anything more important than sharing Jesus with people. Being a part of people's lives and sharing Jesus. And I ho hopefully this helps. Who can, who can think of two teachers that greatly impacted your life? Okay? Who can think of um, one or two mentors that, that helped you be able to believe in yourself? Who can think of three people that either shared Christ with you or walked with you and helped you in your walk with God? Yeah. The book of Acts may end, but the acts of the church continue on. Continue on with us. You don't got to be perfect. You don't got to have all the answers. You just have to be faithful. Invite people into your home. Have dinner with them. Spend time with them. God will use you. And then 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now, someone might be standing, preaching, and ask those questions, and people are going to think about you. They're going to think about you. They're going to think about how you enriched their lives. How you shared the gospel with them. How you taught them from the scriptures who Christ is. That he is the hope of Israel. The hope for the whole world. Oh, what an amazing, amazing moment that would be. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you give me grace every day. That you show us mercy. 
God, help us to, help us to see uh, the cost. Help us to see Jesus clearly. That, that when we think about our walk with you, it so invigorates us. It motivates us. That we would just share Christ with everyone, that we would welcome people into our homes. God, we want to be faithful. We want to be inspired by the stories of Paul and and Peter and the disciples. Help us to walk in their footsteps. Help us to continue on the acts of the church. It's in Jesus' name.